1: It's time for another episode of The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Koob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this time out, buddy, it's an episode we've talked about for a long time. Rush, one for all on the podcast, all about one of our favorite bands.
2: Yeah, Rush, an incredible band who had a monstrous impact on rock and roll, even in their early days, their live performances we're talked about and we're known about in the industry so i'm excited to get in and talk about this band i don't know very much about rush at all i'm not a diehard, know every little detail about this band kind of person i love their music i love throwing on their albums and getting lost in them i love playing their music on the radio because it adds so much flavor to the rock and roll mix that we already play so that's where i am on the rush spectrum but it's always fun to talk about their music no matter what level of a
1: fan you are fan disclaimer this isn't going to be the complete history of rush in one long three hour session we're going to tell the story our way the way we do here on the imbalance history. And if this is your first time listening, because you are rush centric, welcome to the podcast brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro, Pennsylvania, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014, coming up on their 10th anniversary, buddy.
2: That's awesome. Congratulations to Crooked Eye.
1: So let's talk about rush. I first became aware of them with the song fly by night. Neil was already in the band. And then I found out about the debut album, and later I found out about the story of John Rutsey and how he left, and we, we're going to talk about all that stuff, too. But my first impression was that song, and that was before I went up to Kutztown State where I got totally inundated with their music. And more about my friend George Sigley later.
2: I heard Rush fly by night in the late 70s, and I probably liked it because I never changed the dial when it was on. But I really, really became fully aware of Rush with moving pictures. A friend put it on. We listened to it, and we were blown away. What came out of that record, the minute side one, song one started, just rocked us. We were like, what is this? This is so great. From there on, I became a fan of Rush.
1: Now, as somebody who came in on, what, the 5th, 6th album, like so many fans who picked up on them from Permanent Waves and Moving Pictures, do you feel like there was a challenge to you to try to absorb those early albums? Or was it challenging for you to get your ears around and hear them all and find out more about this band? Or were you just content as a kid who was coming of age right there To make them your own band from that point forward
2: i more made them my own band from that point forward because of all the other stuff that was coming out at that point i didn't have the same passion that the real amazing diehard rush fans have with all the other stuff that was coming out around us all the punk rock i was listening to all the alternative i was listening to I was learning more about that at that time than I was about Rush. It was in the '90s when I started learning more about Rush.
1: I told the story before about going to Kutztown and meeting my buddy George, hearing him playing Rush from across the hall, and going in. It was twenty-one twelve and all that. And even at that point, that was their fourth album, and that's when I really first thought, "Wow, I got to hear more of these guys." And so I became locked in. When A Farewell to Kings came out, and believe it or not, uh, by late 77, I was already not at Kutztown and on my way into life, but that album brought us closer to the heart, which really put them on a bigger stage, so to speak, more rock stations playing them, and they also had that Five By Night song, so now people were hearing a couple songs becoming familiar with the band, the terminology of Rush.
2: Now, wasn't Working Man getting thrown in a little bit as well ah. at that time because of the fact that Fly by Night closer to the Heart and some of those other songs were making the rounds on FM AOR radio?
1: Yes and no. A lot of places like the Lehigh Valley is a, a regionally close example where places where Rush first caught on from that first album, they were right there the whole way. But it wasn't everywhere and it took a long time before places that weren't in there when it was a current put it into their playlist when playlists became more of a thing. But no, I would say that uh, over time it became a classic, kind of like a a lost classic. And over time, the way it tests and research with the fans, (laughs) you can guess what those numbers are like, right? I think it's just become one of those things where you got to play it if you're going to play Rush.
2: Yep, and it's one of their songs that sounds most like the British Invasion and those early influences before they forged their own path.
1: Well, they were always closely associated with Budgie because of some sonic stuff, including the vocals, right?
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: It took time for them to differentiate themselves from that niche and from the original uh, burst that they enjoyed in uh, smaller towns here and there and some major markets too. And of course, Canada, Rush, Toronto, hello.
2: <laughs> so
1: things are already happening in big ways there, but you got to go out. All the world's a stage, not just Toronto,
2: eh?
1: <laughs> hey. Now, at this point for me, I'm in, right? they put out this album the next year, Hemispheres, and I'm thinking, wow, naked guy dancing on a brain and another guy in a bowler and a suit. Uh, Okay. What's going on here? And I've listened to that album through the years, many times. And I always end up with the same question, Hey, what's going on here? It's just so cool and so different. I mean, for people who can't really grasp the first side, they may have never gotten to the second side and the trees, one of the most beautiful songs they ever wrote.
2: There is unrest in the forest, there is trouble with the trees, for the maples want more sunlight, and the oaks ignore their bleeds.
1: Not to mention any portion of La Via Estrangiano. Come on! This is classic. This is what they sound like. This is the rush you love with an extended birth, can we call it that? I mean, they, it took them a few years of just pushing and just getting it to where all of the pretense was dropped, even though there was a lot of really out there stuff lyrically. Look, we talked in our tribute to Neil Peart about his books and his approach to always writing, whether it was in, in print form or, or song form, and I think that that's what they got that they didn't see at first, especially Alex. He was a little reluctant to uh, accept Neil into the band when they had that very haphazard audition we were talking about before we started the podcast, right? We talked about that in the Neil Peart episode, too. Two thirds of the band didn't think he did so well and maybe shouldn't be in the band. But Getty knew. Getty knew, man. And so by this album, it's really clear that. This guy can write some out there shit, man. And I think the other two are working really hard to keep up. They really are. Not that they're incapable, but he's keeping them on their toes, you know?
2: Definitely. And in a documentary, Neil said that the most difficult job in the band is the drummer. The worst job is being the singer. The most difficult is being the drummer.
1: It's been chronicled what Neil did driving himself taking motorcycles sometimes and the famous story of him riding through a rainstorm soaked to the skin is right to the feet everything on a long motorcycle ride with him and one of his buds right he always had somebody riding with him yeah and they get there and it's like two hours to showtime, and he still went on and he still gave a goddamn neil pert performance you know he did And that's the kind of man he was when it came to giving the people the art he had in him he was committed to writing all those books and all that stuff is pouring out of him for like the first few albums after he gets in the band but then right before you figure out that this is one of the greatest bands in the world they get it together to kick off the 80s which would be their decade with permanent waves And you want to talk about songs that sound like that old school sound, well, Free Will is a perfect one. reaches back to the first album but sounds completely fresh and completely 80s do i have to say the spirit of the radio let's drop it on a marcus
2: spirit of the radio is one of those songs that was highly prophetic about the business of radio at that time they nailed it with the lyrics in spirit of radio also jacob's ladder is another one of those songs that really just crushes on this record too
1: when you're trying to find your personal space with this band there's always a place you can go to or ten that's gonna take you there and that's one of the things I think that people love so much well you mentioned moving pictures the faithful were already clued in but there are a lot of people like you Marcus who were just about to discover them maybe a little bit from the songs that were on the radio before but this album as you pointed out passionately is one that turns so many people on to what they were and what they would be moving forward
2: yeah the importance of this album for so many people is monumental i mean seriously side one opens up with tom sawyer just smashes you right away red barchetta into yyz and limelight side Hello. one
1: rush you know i really like the camera eye on this album it really is The continuation of that flow of long form sectioned progressive sounds that Neil begins writing in that kind of a mode right from the beginning, but you know, it continues on every album. There's stuff like that. And the camera eye is one of my favorites from this era. And it's funny because the facade of the Ontario legislature in Queens Park, Toronto is now famous because of that cover the ironic and cheeky moving pictures because they're carrying pictures through the frame. Yep. It was the eighties guys. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now let me ask you another question about you being a fan of rush by 1982. You've absorbed a couple albums there that you said you liked and songs are really starting to pile up in your brain's playlist for rush, right? How do you feel about the next couple albums? Like, Uh, uh, Signals and grace under pressure. And, And what do they mean to you in the scheme of you being a fan of Rush?
2: At that time, I didn't get them as much. But in the 90s, I learned to appreciate them more by listening to them again with a wiser mind. The things that I liked about them is the fact that they took technology and some of the new equipment, and they were putting out these great sounds with the synthesizers and the pedals and They really stayed on top of technology. I had to be in the right frame of mind to listen to some of this stuff at that age.
0: Okay.
2: From the the late 90s on, it was a lot easier to be able to sit back and really listen, absorb, and understand this. And then now, as we have uh, matured and (laughs) become somewhat more wise, but not necessarily grown up, I can listen to the music and get it a lot. It's, I see what they were doing a lot clearer at that time. It's brilliant what they did and how they changed from album to album, but you always had that Rush feel and that Rush vibe, and you always knew it was Rush.
1: At some point in the ride, you recognized, okay, it's the three of them. I think Ray was their manager, Ray Daniels, for most of the ride. Mm-hmm. And, and then the Ray Daniels team... And whatever it takes to get them on the road, this is it. What are they going to give us next? And you were always ready. Every album, though, not only ended up having one or two or more of these amazing radio songs that everybody could sing along to, like Subdivisions, of course, and New World Man, but it also had fan faves and other things like Analog Kid or Digital Man way ahead of their time, right? Nobody understood what an Analog Kid was It wasn't even the digital age yet rush was already there man they saw where we were headed i think that's part of it too because if you're paying attention to that stuff technology and all you know you try to project a little bit a lot of arts do that now, i love grace under pressure because of a couple songs but also because of the whole body of work together and i realized it more when i listened to it on cd than than the vinyl you know what i'm saying but distant early warning, that sound at the beginning, first time I heard that, I went, what is he doing? And I realized just Alex was such a fucking sonic genius. And Red Sector A, one of those deep tracks that fans love, everybody has their favorites. Of course, that's the one of the things, too. If we did a five favorites shotgun style at the end of this thing, we would have different ones every time because, you know, it depends upon what you're listening to a lot of times which are really your favorites, you know. If you've been listening to a certain album a lot, you're going to love Red Sector A more than something that was a bigger song from another album. But this album is another one where they just, you know, keep going, delivering great music, stuff radio likes. The fans love them. The shows are amazing. Amazing. Windows comes along in 1985. By this point, I'm locked into a solid pair every time Rush comes to town, because I'm working at MMR. I'm like, every time, I got at least two for this show. And the big radio song was The Big Money, which I would say was a little bit different for them, but radio embraced it, the fans loved it, and of course, parts of it were recorded at Air Studios in Montserrat. Russian originally wanted to record
2: at Air Montserrat and hadn't been able to get into that studio yet. And they found these three weeks open. They signed up, and Alex Lifeson went there to record a bunch of guitar overdubs for this record. And I'm sure they enjoyed the hell out of their time there too, because that island
1: looks amazing. Well, certainly before the volcano blew its lid, right? Yes. 87 September. Hold your fire. Again, back at Air Montserrat for some of the work. Working with Peter Collins, who would help to shepherd in Queensryche's career. coming together there in the middle of the 80s. Time. Stand. Still. You gotta look at the amazing run up to this point. Before we start talking about Presto in 89 and how Rush kinda lost a little momentum there. Now, I love Show Don't Tell and some of the other music on the album, but that's the first time since they really got going that they had anything but massive success. The next year, they put out the Chronicles double CD because CDs were the thing by then. And then a landmark shift with 1991's Roll the Bones. Holy shit, man. yeah the music was a little different but i loved it the other thing was it was the first time they did a big tour with the giant video screens with animation and all i could tell you was if you were feeling it the way i was that night you know what a special experience it was to see the guys taking this show to a whole other level
2: roll the bones was almost like you could call it like the third breakout for rush because they had their early breakout and then they with twenty one twelve and then they had their second breakout with moving pictures their fan base stayed true and loyal all the way through and then in 91 they just smashed everybody with roll the bones and it's almost like that third awakening or that third phase of rush
1: i wonder If in their private moments as a band, whether it's in a band meeting or around rehearsal times, where they sat there and talked about where they were and how only great bands get to have this problem, right? I mean, if you're a great band and you have an initial run, you fade and you go away and then you become an oldies act, that's different than being in a band that's still going all these years later with a high level of success along the way. And you're right, it's like another phase kicks in, and the 90s are a whole different beast for them, and it continues with Counterparts, Stick It Out, Nobody's Hero, great songs. I mean, Stick It Out It's really kind of hooky, it's not that heavy, and Nobody's Hero is one of the most beautiful songs in lending their support to the then crucial phase of the fight against AIDS in 1994
2: i knew he was different in his sexuality i went to his parties as a straight minority it never seen a threat to my masculinity he only introduced
0: me to a wider reality as the years went by we drifted apart when i heard that he was gone i felt the shadow crawl my heart but he's nobody's hero save the drowning
2: child another cool one on that album animate is one that i really liked on that album as well the opening track
1: you know when you get to this point you're spinning in your own universe and really the question is what do you want to do A lot of bands are content to just sit there and replicate. That wasn't going to happen in Rush, both because of the creative impetus of Neil Peart, but also because that's not what the other guys were into. Now, I can't speak for you because you've got your own ears and heart, but Test for Echo is one of my favorite albums from this period in time of the band this album i
2: don't know as well from this phase their music has been consistently strong without a doubt whether it's poppy or not it is always strong they have a phenomenal lyricist and they have three insanely talented musicians in a band who always want to try to do better for each album at this time Neil Peart also had taken some drum lessons again to learn the swing aspect of drum and to learn more about the fills and the silent space between the drums. That Buddy Rich style drumming, and there was a drum teacher named Freddy Gruber who worked with him during the 90s. And he had also worked with people like Vinnie Colaiuta, helped Neil's sound grow and evolve during that time period.
1: If you don't know who Vinny is, look him up on Google and check out his podcast Breakfast with Vinny. It's him just basically having coffee and buns, uh, you know, <laughs> with some of his friends in the music business. He's a funny fucking guy, I'll say that, and a great drummer. At this point they are insulated. They've got their own little universe they're spinning in. All kinds of things start to happen. And we can talk about some of that. As we move into the vapor trails and beyond, towards the 40th in the retirement, next on The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. In Arcus's summer fun winds down, you know what never stops? What? The fun and games, and the great brews at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro. Always something good on the board, and always something fun happening on stage too.
2: Yeah, Crooked Eye is very active on social media, so if you're looking for a cool place that has good beers to hang out at, check out their Facebook page, Crooked Eye Brewery. has a lot of activities going on, good beers, live music. It's all there.
1: All kinds of good entertainment on stage, and, of course, the Crooked Eye Band, second Saturday of every month, packing the house and rocking it right there in the heart of Hatboro. Always a good friend to be made at Crooked Eye Brewery. In that heightened presence on Facebook, you will find a lot of posts about what's just going up on the board and a lot of fresh board posts lately with all kinds of different stuff. Jeff's always trying something different back in the brew room. Go in and find out what we're talking about. It's Crooked Eye Brewery at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hapro in Pennsylvania. Tell a friend, stop on by and make a friend.
2: Swing by and make it a Crooked Eye.
3: 50 to get 50% off. That's factormealscom slash Pantheon 50 and use the code Pantheon 50 to get 50% off.
1: Back from the break and ready to go forward. Always forward with rush Marcus. They're like the uh, three musketeers all for one, one for all, right? Always that way.
2: Yep, they firmly believed that it was the three of them that had to do what they were doing and only the three of them. And they stayed true to that once they all connected together.
1: And so they decided that it was time after all the compilations and live albums, time to do a new album. And they set out to make what became Vapor Trails. And it's an interesting dynamic at this point they all have become interested in various other things and are doing a lot of them. Uh, Things that became a base book or, you know, uh, another set of books from Neil. Well, here's the thing. He had written, check this out, this is how prolific he was. Neil had written six sets of lyrics for what would become Vapor Trails and wasn't getting back any kind of feedback from the guys, whether they like this set or that, or a combination, nothing nothing from the guys. So he he said, all right, well, I guess I'm just gonna put my energy into my book, which became Ghost Rider, Travels on the Healing Road. And I don't know, man, it it just kind of like stalled there, but then they broke through as they always have and went back to the original trio, No Keyboards, uh, the first album without keyboards on it a long, long time. And it worked for the fans. It it helped to keep the momentum going. You know, radio being radio, they played one or two songs a little bit, but they weren't as much into Rush at this point as they'd been earlier when the band was a staple artist for them. The fans, though, (laughs) you can't tell the fans what's good or what they love. You just can't. At some point, do you think they were feeling like the fans are with us, we're playing live, we can do this forever, or at least for as long as we want to do it.
2: They absolutely felt that way. The energy from the crowd made a huge difference in their live shows. We've seen Rush multiple times. My first time seeing them was in sometime around 2004, 2005, and I was blown away by how incredibly great their live show was i got to see him two times after that so i saw him three times one of the best in the business ever as far as live bands goes
1: I kind of got uh, dragged into it, like I said, in college early on and from the radio. But once I started going, I didn't stop. I think I ended up seeing them seven or eight times. Maybe on the 40th tour was the eighth time. Having seen them several times through the years at different phases, I just could go any time they would play. I really could and would go almost every time I had the chance, unless something else you know, got in the way of it. I don't know about you but i was pretty excited to hear that they were doing an ep about their influences uh ended up uh coming out in 2004 feedback and a really killer take on eddie cochran's summertime blues and some of the other songs too are pretty good and definitely worth checking out if you're looking for something fresh to listen to from Russia and you haven't heard it it's feedback
2: Yeah, it includes Crossroads, Robert Johnson, Cream combo influence as well. A little Mr. Soul from Neil Young and Buffalo Springfield. They were a big influence on Rush, that band was.
1: We're into that phase of life, pretty much, where special projects and best ofs are going to be the majority of the releases. But Rush still has some snakes and arrows, and that's the release May 1st, thousand seven
2: their 18th studio album at this point still
1: the three of them that's it (laughs) (laughs) it's cool stuff doesn't really click with radio fans don't care they don't care they just keep marching on man
2: yeah, the single that got a lot of radio airplay off uh, of the Snakes and Arrows records is Far Cry, and it is a fantastic song, and it gives you a feel for where Rush is at this point in their lives and their careers.
1: Rush has done so many live albums that they have uh, a live album compilation. I shit you not. It's called Working Men, came out in 2009, and it's got great stuff from all their different uh, live releases over the years only they could have a greatest hits from their live albums i think and then
2: two years later they did the time machine 2011 live in cleveland
1: <laughs> hello cleveland <laughs> so they're done right they're not gonna make any more no. albums. they're just doing all these releases and live albums and then doing special projects for their 30th that's it they're done though right now no, no. Oh. oh look clockwork angels drops yes they just (laughs) keep on rolling great record too
2: caravan headlong flight wreckers the garden great songs oh and then of course they released the clockwork angels tour album another live masterpiece from them
1: you know what they could do they could do a greatest hits compilation like a compilation of r30 and r40 which of course Is marking their final tour run and you know it's one of the few times where i felt like yeah it's cool you guys are all living you're all healthy you're all okay we didn't know about neil we didn't know he was really sick but we knew that he'd had some you know problems with his shoulders and arthritis and whatnot we had no idea about what was going on with his feet at one point right
2: Mm -mm, no idea
1: Like, soldiers in the trenches, man. They dealt with shit that nobody understood except for other people who were in the trenches. And they get to 40, and it's time. The word goes out, they're going to do one final tour. Everybody, you know, scrambles to get their tickets. They come, they do one last pass. And they mean it.
2: I feel so lucky that we got to see... That final show, when it stopped through Philadelphia, like really, really, really lucky and thankful too. It was a magical night.
1: Down to it, the last couple shows. Got to be in Toronto. Got to do it at the big joint there, right? Mm Mm-hmm. June 2015, and it's done. (sighs) 40 years of forging their own path. Of satisfying their own fans, you know the thing about Rush fans are they get a they get a, a bad rap for being so uh, you know monofocused or narrowly focused. The truth is, fans of this band are fans of many bands. The people who are uber fans of Rush and have seen a hundred and some shows, they're no different than the Deadheads or anybody else who travels to see a band. The dedication of fans to this band it's right there at the top of the stories the great stories in rock and roll history the bonding and you know maybe we could have marcus gotten uh you know like b-man we could have gotten him on here if we could have found him but he doesn't want to talk about it that man has stories and just like mick wall great stories to tell but we just wanted to get on and talk about these three guys and I know, a lot of it probably sounds like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction speech, right? Or Alex, you know, blah, 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 blah rush, blah, 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 Getty, blah, 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 Neil, blah, 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 Alex. Blah, blah. That's one of my favorite fucking TV speeches of all time in an award show of any kind. Yeah. It was great.
2: Their sense of humor is remarkable and... They were very honest. They were very real about who they they were. There was no bullshit. There was no fronts. No, none of that. And that created a very special connection, too, I think, with the fan base. Because they didn't put up any bullshit in front of them. They just were who they were. And their base of fans and the Rush fans, I think, really appreciate that kind of transparent honesty.
1: So much so... That when the guys from South Park decided that they would like to turn them into South Park characters, they were like, yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) They were excited about it. In fact, when they had, remember they had the big uh, event out in Colorado, the anniversary for uh, South Park. It was a live show and and they showed up. The two of them, they showed up for for Matt Trey. It was unbelievable. The the guys were beyond themselves, blown away. That they would come and be a part of that but that's the kind of self-deprecating motherfuckers they are you gotta love it and not only that they were in the great
2: white north uh, with getty lee doing uh that song take eh, off take off hosers eh, eh. Take off, eh? okay be uh, real nice to him eh okay okay this is uh the hit single section of our album good uh, day good day uh getty lee is here from Rush hi, uh, hi Getty, I'm Bob McKenzie, this is my brother Doug How's it going Getty? Oh it's going pretty good, good day eh? Good, good day, good day. Uh, thanks for coming down to do our hit Well it's my pleasure eh? Did, did our lawyer call you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know 10 bucks is 10 bucks uh, We were, uh, I hope you don't mind but there's a photographer that's going to be taking pictures of us together to prove that you were here doing yeah. uh, the record In case people come, don't believe us yeah. How come he's not wearing a tube? Oh, he's not from the Great White North. eh? Yeah. Okay, so if you'd like to uh, put on uh, a toque and some headphones, we can uh, do the hit single now. Sure. Okay? I, that'd be great. Do you, you have the lyric sheet? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I memorized them. Oh, great. Beauty. Okay. How, did, how did you do that so fast? I'm a professional. Agent. Oh. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we'll just sit over here, like, while you're singing, eh? Okay? Okay.
2: All right. Okay. Thanks, guys. Okay. Good luck, eh? Good okay. Luck. okay. Okay.
3: This is where the DJ talks. Don't say anything. Okay.
2: Yeah, just fantastic. And there was a promo shirt that they sent out years ago that I got a copy of when they did this little promo where they were a trio at, like, a bagel shop, and they were called Rash, not Rush. And I have that Rash shirt. I mean, it's fantastic, their sense of humor, just amazing human beings. And we got lucky that the stars aligned the way they did that gave us Rush.
1: You know, when you think about all the stories we've told of bands who hit a crossroad with members and uh, could have gone one way and it went the other way. This is one of them because what if Alex dug his heels in about what happened at that audition? Neil not just as a drummer, brought so much to the band. He was, you know, the writer of so much. And together, the three of them created an amazing thing that couldn't have been done any other way with any other people involved. And that's one of the great things about music that people forget. People want to say stuff like, Hey, just play me some music on that stage and I don't want to hear what you think. Every time you go to see a band live, you're paying to see and hear what they think because it's in their songs and their songs come from their heart. And you don't separate and you can't separate the two. Yep. And another scenario,
2: Neil thought he had bombed that audition as well. What if he walked away and said, fuck it, I'm not good enough for these guys and disappeared. What if that happened, too?
1: Wow, I didn't even think about that little off spin of that. Wow,
2: that's true. We got lucky that uh, Gary Lee Weinrib's gut feelings were as strong as they were. And he knew, even though things didn't go well, that Neil was the guy and he convinced everybody, hey, yes, 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 this is what's happening. The force is strong with this one. And another one of the many great things about them is like you had these idols like Robert Plant and Roger Daltrey and Jim Morrison. And then you had these guys that were kind of nerd-rocky. And the anti of that, they
1: were the anti-gods. Yes.
2: Absolutely. And that too was another connection to the majority of the people because most of the people ain't beautiful like Robert Plant was in 1969, 70, and 71. Uh uh-uh. uh. Very few people have that kind of radiance or chemistry. Most of us are people, and there are a few people that have that glow that Robert Plant did. And while Everybody in Rush has that special energy together. Their energy was even more powerful and stronger.
1: And that strength and that dedication and that feeling of a combined force in nature didn't seem to stop. There may have been times where they drifted a little bit. Like when, you know, Neil wasn't hearing back about the lyrics he'd written and stuff like that, but they were a continuing force right to the end and they had everything at their fingertips they controlled the ending that many artists don't get to do we talked about bowie trying to orchestrate the whole thing when he left the planet right Mm -hmm. you know this is in that category of artists able to do it the way they want to do it to wrap something up rather than just drag it on for all eternity and maybe diminish the legacy
2: Do you think they would have stopped playing had Neil not had cancer that we
1: didn't know about? I'm not sure that the cancer was evident when they quit at the R40 tour from what Mike Portnoy said that he'd heard about Neil being sick a couple years before he passed. And I don't know that it stretched back that far, but it could have. And that could have been the reason we always thought, well... The shoulders and the ankles have to be wearing out. You know how fast and hard they work when he gets behind a kid. The great Neil Elwood Peart. I don't think that they could or would, nor should, have considered anything but retirement. And if they knew, and they kept it all together in their family circle for all that time, all the better for them to enjoy their life without it hanging over them, you know? They're very
2: lucky they got to end everything on their terms. And we got lucky that we got 40 years of rush. The 19 albums that they put out influenced millions and millions and millions of people over 40 years. It inspired thousands and millions of people playing music as well.
1: And in the business aspect, too. Uh, They've been a huge influence because I'm not sure if you noticed, but all the albums now are listed as on Anthem Records, which is their label, except for the first record, which was on Moon Records. But you know what they did? They went and bought somewhere in the 70s or 80s. They bought Moon Records so that they would own the first album themselves and they keep it on Moon Records, which I think is pretty cool. But it's also part of the parent label, Anthem, which is Rush Records, basically.
2: Their business acumen, phenomenal. Their long-term vision, phenomenal as human beings. Because they took complete control of their destiny and their work and their art pretty quickly and really knew how they wanted to do their art distribute it market it and all of that so great vision from those guys and it made a difference
1: well marcus it might just be time to exit stage left <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen uh we know as we said at the beginning we probably missed some key points in rush history that wasn't the purpose of this episode it was to get on and talk about how much we love the band and how much they mean to all of us who are rush fans now we're not like we said the hundred plus club on rush shows okay that's okay we might not have told all the stories we would love to hear your stories personal or otherwise in regards to rush so, feel free to email us at imbalancehistory at gmail.com. It's a good way to be in touch anytime you want to add to the conversation, like our buddy Matt from Detroit, right?
2: Yeah, he sent us his
1: five favorites of the
2: 21st century, which we love that kind of interaction. So, please.
1: You know, if we get a few more of those, we might be able to do a follow up episode with your guys. Five favorites of the 21st century.
2: Part two The Awakening. Dun dun dun.
1: <laughs> well, that's enough tomfoolery and fawning over Rush for one episode, Marcus. Uh, thanks to our friends at Crooked Eye Brewery for their ongoing love and support here on the Imbalance History. We're a product of Dark Deck Media. Don't forget to check out the Bent News Network out every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. It's Rush One for All. Ray Coob signing off. I'm Marcus Goldman as well. On the Imbalanced History...
2: Of Rock and Roll.
0: What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house? The happy family? The money? 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours... Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. I don't know. My robin's dead. My right there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new True Crime History Podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz You don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.